On Your Wavelength, a podcast on physics and publishing. We take you behind the scene of some of the most interesting work published in the Nature portfolio. We talk to the authors and to the editors and bring you the latest insights. Hello and welcome to On Your Wavelength. I'm Ankita Nirban from Nature Reviews Physics and today I'm joining you from Boston. And I am Cristiano Madrigardi from Nature Communication, and I'm tuning as ever from Berlin. I uh, would like to just to thank you all, our listener, who tuned last month when we discussed about all optical face singularities. But first of all, how's Boston? Boston is great. Yeah, um, I'm in the US for a conference uh, which took place last week on 2D materials. It's just very interesting. And it's so nice to be able to meet people in person again. So yeah, I'm having a great time. Let's dive into our podcast and let's dive into a, a, a material. Just let's introduce a material that you probably have, have in your life everywhere. And this material is glass. And you can see actually glass, not, not only in, 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 in your uh, kitchen with glasses or uh, windows, but glasses is actually uh, actually everywhere from communication technology from semiconductor industry your displays mobile consumer electronics and again healthcare automotive architecture inter interior design you've actually been around for thousands of years so like over three thousand years but yeah we actually still don't know a lot about it and um there's current research going on about well disordered systems because glass is effectively an amorphous system so has a lot of disorder and in fact last year's Nobel Prize in physics was related to study of sort of disordered complex systems uh Giorgio Parisi won it who's a mathematician won um for a lot of his work on the mathematics behind the ideal glass which is sort of this maximally disordered system and the molecules in this ideal glass are packed together in the densest possible random arrangement so paradoxically actually it has the same entropy as a crystal even though it's still amorphous ideal glass can actually be very difficult to obtain but the question is what do you like more metal or glass well, I'm always going to say metal because I'm a condensed matter physicist and I love my crystals. But I'm, I'm beginning to think <laughs> glasses are pretty cool doing research for this episode. Um, there's a lot of interesting physics behind glasses, obviously. I definitely also love more metals, but not because of your <laughs> really, really good reason, because I definitely not feel comfortable handling, handling glasses because it breaks. So it's, for me, something that breaks is something that it, it's difficult to handle for me. So, but what about if metal could be glassy? So just forget about structure, crystalline structure of metals and think about metal as a glass. That sounds quite crazy to me. I can't even imagine that, an amorphous metal. So I guess it can flow, but it's still metallic. Yeah, I, actually, it's it's completely from materials in which they uh, use they cool down uh, a really really high rate uh, a, a, a liquid metal a rate that it's almost billion of degrees 
per second. The US tech company Apple has long held patent for the use of metallic glasses glass on smartphone covers. Cool, but still not really viable commercially. However, maybe the most surprising question to ask about glass is not what it is, but what it isn't. Because while we're accustomed to thinking about glass as this hard, transparent, brittle substance, actually a lot of other systems also exhibit glass physics. So, for example, ant colonies or even traffic jams, if you imagine cars sort of moving through motorways in this sort of disordered fashion, and at some point they'll just get stuck it's too disordered and that is the same as glass and what makes glass solid. So studying glasses help scientists understand these other systems and some of these other systems through complex theories can also shed light on glass physics itself which is confusing and yeah not as trivial as it might seem. Yes actually this is kind of uh, amazing this is something amazing just taking uh, another system like crowd traffic jam or uncolonies to study a physics that that just led to Nobel Prize is something something really 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 nice really interesting from a scientific point of view and also non-trivial non-trivial at all like the very interesting insights that we uh, have today that the authors of today's paper uh, here at, um, at on your webland podcast we'll be talking about the paper it's title origin of the bosom peaks in in amorphous solids has been published the 6th of june in nature physics and um, we will have one author of this paper and the editor of the paper talking about the behind the scene of of the processing of the paper how this how this results came out and everything so if you really want to know if you really want to know more about bosom peaks in the origin of bosom peaks in glass Stay tuned. After the jingle, the full story is in the other side. So, see you later. So, welcome to this episode. This is the third episode of On Your Wavelength Podcast. And as you may hear by the introduction, we will talk about glass. But just we will have a deeper look into glass. And we will have a deeper look into glass with... Uh, uh, an author of a paper recently published in Nature Physics. And uh, he is from, uh, I, I will actually let him introduce him. Yang Chao, the floor is yours. Yeah. Thank you. Um, oh, uh, I'm Yang Chao Hu. I'm uh, an associate research scientist at Yale University. Uh, previously, I worked with uh, Professor Hajime Tanaka uh, at the University of Tokyo as a postdoc fellow. Uh, I have been working on glass problem since my PhD. It's likely 10 years. Uh, I, as we know, um, the glasses have a very wide spectrum of frequency for motion, like from very fast motion and to slow beta motion and then to structural radiation. I have been focusing on studying different uh, motions at different time scales. Could you actually explain it, explaining it a little bit on better what's uh, what, what are we talking about and why uh, this kind of uh, uh, effect are really important and just why we want to find their origin in 1970s uh, when people started to measure the low temperature uh, properties of glasses uh, mainly the thermal conductivity and the heat capacity they found the uh, there is a peak in the reduced uh, uh, 
Peter Cressley um, above the uh, Dubai model. Uh, and uh, surprisingly, they find this uh, hump in the heat capacity among um, many different kinds of glasses. So that means the, so then we call this um, peak as a boson peak. Uh, it is quite universal uh, over different kinds of glasses, no matter what is the constituents and the interactions. The appearance of this boson peak means there are many extra modes, vibration modes in glasses in addition to phonons. Because in perfect crystals, the vibrational properties can uh, be um, understood from the device theory, uh, which is based on the phonons. So in glasses, the, the difficulty is because of the structural disorder. Uh, there are many uh, cordless modes uh, which can stay independently or coupled to or hybridize with the phonons. So that makes the peak of uh, we call the boson peak. Thank you very much, Wanchao. And as you may know, we also have Bart here, who was the handling editor of this paper. So Bart, would you mind to introduce a little bit yourself and what's your role in nature physics? And then we can dive a little bit more into the processing of the manuscript from the editorial point of view. Yeah, sure. I'm Bart. I'm one of the editors at Nature Physics, as you may know, Nature Physics, as many other nature journals, has an editorial team. There's currently seven of us, and uh, well, as I said, I'm one of them. I originally joined in 2013, so almost 10 years ago. Uh, I stayed first for almost five years, then I left to set up or help set up our new office in Berlin. Uh, and since um, yeah, one year and a half, I'm also back at Nature Physics, again, uh, handling papers. And glasses, more generally um, amorphous materials, are uh, a topic that I handle. So um, the paper um, we're going to discuss um, therefore landed, so to speak, on my desk. Great. And, and do you receive many papers on, on this topic? Well, I would say um, not extremely many, so not every day, but um, throughout a month, yeah, there would be there would be several submissions, um, and yeah, specifically some would typically address the boson peak, um, as um, yeah, Rancho has just been describing. So it's an important problem. And of course, we know that and we uh, pay attention to papers addressing this topic. So I would say it's it's not a major topic, but it's really, it definitely is a recurring topic that we um, yeah, see regularly appearing. Thanks, Bart. Thanks for now. We will come back with you in a bit. But now I just want to know from Wan Chao, how did you find it? How did you discover it? It was kind of a surprise or it was a perfectly planned experiments to find this kind of uh, origin, the origin of the bosom peak? Yeah, so um, actually this result is a completely surprise, I would say. Because um, the um, what we already know about the vibrations in glass is there are some uh, cordless modes um, which can couple to um, phonons 
uh, in gases. So, but the properties of this colorless mode are not so clear. And uh, so the main reason is, as I mentioned, so they usually couple with um, phonons, so it's very hard to separate colorless modes from phonons. But in our work, uh, when I tried to study the uh, anemic structure factors of glasses, surprisingly, we find that there is uh, um, a signal in the spectrum uh, only in the transverse, um, uh, sorry, is in the uh, transverse uh, component at a constant frequency, but uh, changing, but with changing the wavelength. So that means the cordless mode responsible for the bottom peak is uh, actually determined by a constant energy scale rather than a constant length scale. In this way, uh, we uh, find we identified the key uh, feature of the cordless mode um, responsible for the boson peak. Yes, it's not surprising that it was surprising. As have as uh, almost uh, like uh, a lot of stuff in science, actually, I can say, <laughs> uh, and 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 this is this is one of that and. Actually, it was really well appreciated by the community, uh, uh, as as we can see. So um, let's try now that just to go uh, on the process of this manuscript because when you decided to to uh, submit to Nature Physics, you uh, realized that just the, then the editors liked your work and sent out to peer review, and then just you had. Uh, um, a peer review process. So, just first of all, like Bart, how did you, uh, um, you know, um, find the process of looking for reviewers, finding reviewers good for this paper to address to to assess this paper in a thorough way? Uh, was how the uh, how the process was, and how was the peer review itself? Was kind of. A difficult peer review was swift uh, or just was like interesting from the content point of view? Yeah, um, from my point of view, um, I think all went actually relatively well. Um, I didn't have real difficulties, but um, it was interesting all the same. So as you say, we need to find referees and uh, as already uh, Huan Chao himself said uh, it's a bit controversial, the boson peak, and explanations um, for boson peak come and go, so you always have to be careful. Um, but first of all, uh, the paper looked really sound, and okay, it's a big claim, but there were uh, state of the art simulations um, backing the claims up, so I indeed decided to send it to referees. and. Well, it was actually not, um, I think for the authors, not that easy to come back with a revision because there was some skepticism. Uh, there was a lot of homework uh, to be done, some convincing to, of the referees to be done. Um, but it was all, I think, very, very collegial, very constructive. Um, I think the authors had to tone down a bit some of the claims, um, provide some additional explanations. But um, yeah, the authors did a really good job in convincing referees, and I remember one uh, referee, not referee two, as is usually the case, but referee three <laughs> was the difficult one, let's say, in this case. But um, yeah, he or she really was convinced also after having seen the reports of the other two referees and the responses uh, to them. So all in all, I think a very um, 
yeah, constructive and useful process for everyone involved um, with a yeah with a great paper uh, published in Nature Physics as the result. Yes, true, because of course, the paper you publish, it's never the paper you submit. It's always a better version of this paper because it, in, it, has, uh, it had the interaction with the community. And um, we as editors, so just when we find a paper that we, that we like, that we uh, really believe that it's something that it needs to be spread, we also have in place some other service to the authors. And in this case, in this precise case, there have been some frontal pieces written by our editor here, by Bart, uh, that is soon to be published. So just, Bart, do you want to uh, talk us, told us about this kind of content that you are preparing for this paper? That was indeed a nice opportunity to highlight the work uh, even more, as you may know. News and views articles in Nature Physics and other Nature Research journals um, provide additional background and context to uh, research papers that we publish. Um, so in this case, there is the paper of uh, Yuan Chao and his co-author uh, published in the June issue of Nature Physics. And um, alongside, we have a news and views on that paper by written by an expert on the topic. And as I said, this provides additional context and background, but in a way that's uh, so that the work becomes more uh, understandable to non-experts. I'm not saying non-physicists, because Nature Physics uh, is, of course, a journal for physicists, but people who may not be working on glasses or uh, a boson peak. And um, yeah, I think that really worked well in this case. Um, I also learned a lot by, well, uh, editing uh, the piece, by interacting with the author of the news and views. So it's always an agreeable uh, experience, which is also helpful for the editor. Um, and of course, I hope also for the authors, because it gives additional exposure uh, to their work. Um, yeah, maybe I also use the question to uh, add something else that we managed to do. Um, we realized that maybe it's worth spending an editorial on the topic of glasses. And again, as you may know or not know, um, we have a monthly cycle um, with Nature Physics and other nature research journals. So every month we also write an editorial. And this time I, let's say, volunteered to write a piece, it's typically one page on uh, glasses and the physics of glasses. And then the paper we, we published this month, um, we've been discussing in this podcast, was referred to and also the news and views that I just mentioned, but also more widely, um, what is so interesting about uh, glasses and uh, their physics. Again, I learned a lot by writing this editorial. I found lots of interesting connections uh, to art um, and other uh, aspects. For example, it's a very uh, important topic uh, for industry. Uh, as you know, there's, there's the whole glass industry, not only glasses that we drink from, but glass as a material is, is used everywhere in architecture also, for example. And um, the timing was also very good because, as you may know, uh, 2022 is the International Year of Glass. 
Um, so yeah, that was also we found worth uh, pointing out. So there were a few things coming together here. The paper by uh, Yuan Chao and his co-author, then the News and Views, and then the International Year of Glass, and um, yeah, the opportunity to write an editorial about it. So hopefully we managed to um, yeah put glasses a bit in the spotlight in our uh, June issue of Nature Physics. That's. That's super interesting because, of course, editorials is another content that we make to help the community to get involved in this in, in this uh, new research paper we published. And as you say, like just yeah, glasses is around us. Like we don't only actually have an glass we drink, but just in uh, communication technologies, semiconductor industry, advanced display, uh, just the display of of our of our mobile phones or. Uh, yeah, communications, Health, yeah. healthcare, healthcare, automotive, architecture, interior design, just everywhere. Just is we don't realize, but just because we are quite get used to see glasses around, but just is like it's clearly everywhere. So, uh, what do you? And this is a question I made to both. Uh, this is a question I made to both. Um, what do you? How do you see these fields? in five years a whole, or just maybe to want a more precise question, what's next for your, for, for your research? So actually we are uh, also inspired by the reviewers' comments. We are uh, also thinking more things about the bottom peak and about, or generally the vibrational properties of glasses. So we are currently doing some research, maybe as that is the, as the next line of the, our, from our current research. Basically, there are, uh, we think there are two uh, big questions. So the first one, for example, for silicon, silica, and even water, uh, there are some potato units which are very important in determining their properties. So we would like to ask the question, how does uh, these, uh, the potato structure influence the glass uh, or the liquid vibrations? Uh, the second question is uh, uh, more fundamental. We want to ask, uh, ask uh, or understand what is the difference between these different types of colorless mode. Yeah, what uh, what is what are their roles uh, in the um, gas vibrations and the gas properties? Uh, a higher level um, thing is how do these modes couple to phonons? Yeah. So I think these are very actually quite hard uh, problem to solve, but very important to understand the gas properties. So um, yeah, I can't do anything else than wishing you luck with your research, with your future research, and going to Bart to understand which are the feeling from the editorial side on how this field is moving. So uh, what do you see? In, in in the next five years, let's say in the time span of the next five years, not nothing else that just you have to uh, foresee something, but just what you're feeling from your editorial side. Yeah, it's hard to predict, uh, as you know, especially in the future. But um, yeah, I think there are interesting developments going on. And um, I think there will be still several papers addressing the boson peak because um, yeah, the work we've been discussing is, of course, an important contribution, but the problem uh, has not been solved now universally, let's say. Um, 
So there is still work to do. Also, what I find personally very interesting is to see where actually glassy systems occur and what kinds we have. Uh, there are metallic glasses, there are colloidal glasses, which are really uh, an important class because they can be tailor-made with specific interactions uh, between the particles that can be modeled uh, in computer simulation. So I think it's fair to say that we're at the point where um, computer simulations really reflect what is done um, in the lab. So it's not a crude approximation, but it's really almost one-to-one. -one. I'm interested in seeing what further developments we will see, especially in the field of uh, colloidal glasses. Um, but, and this is also something I, I discovered or maybe rediscovered when I wrote the editorial on glasses, uh, which by the way, I forgot to mention, is freely available on uh, the Nature Physics website. Um, so, what I find interesting is that we are so used in thinking, or at least I and maybe other condensed matter physicists, thinking in crystallography terms. Um, crystallography describes uh, solids. Yes, that's true, but there are, as we've been talking uh, about, uh, amorphous solids, uh, glasses. So how do we properly describe them? So I think there's, there's a need, and actually I think there are efforts going on for a more uh, general crystallography, if you will, a crystallography that also takes into account properties of amorphous materials, um, because it's not it's not enough to say, oh, amorphous materials are disordered, like no crystalline order. Well, there is still some order. You can still make um, statements, and there are still uh, regularities. You know, and the paper we've been discussing is just uh, confirming that. So this is something I'm, yeah, looking forward to 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 see further evolve, and maybe um, it's similar to what we have seen with um, uh, quasi crystals, for example. Yeah, the definition of what the crystal is has been changed so that also quasi crystals fit uh, the definition, namely some diffraction pattern that has order. But okay, that's another story. But just to say, um, yeah, there are interesting uh, developments here. Thank you for this for these insights. So we arrive at the end of our of our episode, uh, and so I need to thank you, Bart, and thank you, Wenchao, to be here to tune in today, and to everyone who actually is enjoying our company every month. Uh, if you remember, la the first episode was on, on antimatter, and the second episode was on phase singularities, and this episode is on boson. What's next? I can't say now, but just you can stay tuned and discover what's next. You can tune on Acast and listen to the other episode. And also you can go to the Nature, Porf the Nature Portfolio Physics community page in which you can find the blog post of on your wavelength and also the link to just get into the uh, to, to this uh, audio content and much, much more. So thank you very much for being with us today and we'll uh, tune in next month with another story.